0: This is RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you're listening in today. Hey, if you've not yet gotten a copy of the October 2022 special report, it's titled Anatomy of a Recession, Strategies for the Current Economy. I'd love to send you a copy of the report that contains strategies for you to consider in your own individual financial situation. All you need to do to get your copy of the report is visit the website requestyourreport.com. The website, again, requestyourreport.com. When you visit that website and let me know where to mail the report, you'll not only get the report, again titled Anatomy of a Recession, Strategies for the Current Economy, I'll also send you a copy of two of my best-selling books. The first is Revenue Sourcing, which contains strategies for the current economy. And the second is The Little Black Book on Social Security Maximization. So you'll get the report and the two books when you visit requestyourreport.com. And I will send you this absolutely free and without any further obligation when you visit requestyourreport.com and let me know where to mail this information. And again, I will be glad to do so. Well, when you talk about recession, which uh, I have stated since the first of the year here on the program that I believe we are in a recession, the economic data that's been reported certainly seems to confirm that, one of the contributing factors and, and maybe the most important or significant contributing factor to the recession is inflation. Now, when we first started talking about inflation here on the program, I stated my view that unless we saw real positive net interest rates, inflation would not be controlled. Now, if you're a new listener here to the program, what does that mean? What are real positive net interest rates? Well, that simply means that interest rates have to be higher than the inflation rate. If the inflation rate is higher than the credited interest rate, so for example, if a 10-year U.S. government note is paying 4%, but the inflation rate is 9%, you're losing 5% per year in purchasing power. So when the inflation rate is higher than the credited interest rate, the incentive to save disappears, and you end up feeding inflation, you don't end up getting inflation under control. Now, that's been my position since we started talking about inflation, and certainly the most recent inflation report, seems to indicate that that opinion, that position, is spot on. Despite increasing interest rates, inflation is now officially hotter than at any time in the last 40 years. Now, Wolf Richter reported on this recently, uh, on October 13, to be precise, and he suggested this, quote, nearly two-thirds of consumer spending goes to services. And now, they're the driver of inflation. So two-thirds of consumer spending goes to services. The other third goes for products. And now services are driving inflation. Richter goes on to say, quote, The CPI, or Consumer Price Index for Services, spiked in September for the 13th month in a row, and by the most since 1982 and it accelerated month to month. Housing costs spiked, but also all other kinds of services, such as health insurance. Health insurance incidentally is up 2.1% month to month and up 28% year over year. Now, if you look at core CPI or the core consumer price index, which excludes food and energy, it was also the worst since 1982. And if you look at food prices, food prices did spike again, but they spiked a little bit less than the prior month, which had been the worst since 1979. Now, if you take a look at some of the services and take a look at what the increase in price has been year over year, it's astounding. As I mentioned, health insurance up 28.2% year-over-year. Rent of a primary residence up 7.2% year-over-year. Motor vehicle insurance up 10.3% year-over-year. Motor vehicle maintenance repair up 11.1% year-over-year. Delivery services up 16.4% year-over-year. Pet services you're taking your dog or cat to the vet, expect those costs to be 11% higher year over year. I was on an airplane last week. I can tell you this is true. Airline fares up 42.9% year over year. Now, there are just a few services where prices fell year over year. Car and truck rental dropped 1.4%. Telephone services dropped 0.3% and admission to sporting events dropped 9.5%. That's not surprising, since demand for tickets to sporting events is certainly falling, given that many consumers are using more of their income just to meet, needs, meet their living needs to, to pay for essentials. Now, if you're on Social Security, there might be a little bit of good news here. However, probably not a lot the Social Security cost of living allowance for 2023 was determined with the inflation report that was just released. Now, the cost of living allowance if you're receiving Social Security is based on the average of the year-over-year increases in the consumer price index for all urban wage earners and clerical workers. So for 2023... If you're receiving Social Security, you are going to get a cost of living adjustment of 8.7%. So if you're collecting $2,000 a month in Social Security, you're going to get $174 more per month. Now that 8.7% increase is the highest since 1981. It's the highest in 41 years. But the reality is the cost of living allowance you got in 2021 within just a month or two, was fully absorbed by inflation, and the same was true for 2022. Now, interestingly, CNBC commented on this as well. CNBC reported that consumer spending in September was flat. Now, it's really not that surprising given that consumers are spending, again, a lot on on essentials and discretionary purchases are declining. This is just a bit from the CNBC article. Quote, consumer spending was flat in September as prices moved sharply higher and the Federal Reserve implemented higher interest rates to slow the economy, according to government figures released Thursday. Retail and food services sales were little changed for the month after rising 0.4% in August. Considering that retail sales numbers are not adjusted for inflation, the report shows that real spending across the range of sectors the report covers retreated for the month. The Bureau of Labor Statistics reported that consumer prices rose 0.4% on all goods and services, and 0.6% when excluding food and energy. Miscellaneous store retailers saw sales decline 2.5% per the month. Gas stations were off 1.4%. Other sectors that posted drops? Sporting goods, hobby stores, bookstores, music stores, furniture stores, and home furnishing stores. Also, electronics and appliances and motor vehicle parts and motor vehicle dealers were all down. Now, I continue to be of the opinion that as the economic data, like the the data we just reviewed, as this data worsens, as it gets uglier, I continue to be of the opinion that the Federal Reserve will eventually choose to reverse course and once again pursue easy money policies. Now, I believe that will, once again, fuel inflation, and I also believe that's why it's important to use the revenue sourcing sourcing planning process, as described in the best-selling revenue sourcing book, to manage your nest egg and plan your retirement income and allocation strategies. Now, again, if you're just joining me, I'd like to invite to, invite you to get a copy of the revenue sourcing book. The Little Black Book on Social Security Maximization, which will help you maximize your social security benefits. And also, I'd like to invite you, when you get those books, to get a copy of the October 2022 special report titled Anatomy of a Recession, Strategies for the Current Economy. To get all those resources, all you need to do is visit the website, requestyourreport.com. The website, again, is requestyourreport.com. And when you visit that website, um, just let me know where you'd like me to mail all that information, and I will be very glad to do so. And if you're not taking advantage of the resources available at retirementlifestyleadvocates.com, I'd encourage you to do so. Each week, I host a headline roundup alternative newscast. You can participate every Monday at noon. It's a live broadcast. But that broadcast is also recorded and archived to the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates website. You can go to retirementlifestyleadvocates.com and check out that newscast every Monday night. It is posted there. Um, and if you'd like to participate live, uh, there's a place there that you can sign up to participate live as well. On the website, you'll also get the weekly Portfolio Watch newsletter for free, as well as the podcast version of this radio program. So again, that website is completely free. Lots of resources there for you to take advantage of. Again, that's retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. Retirementlifestyleadvocates.com is the website. Joining me in the next two segments is Mr. Mark Jeftovic. Uh, Mark is the publisher of the Crypto Capitalist Letter, and he will join me after these words. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Joining me once again on today's program is Mr. Mark Jeftovic. Mark is the publisher of the Crypto Capitalist Letter. You can learn more about his work at bombthrower.com or thecryptocapitalist.com. I'll give those sites again here before the segment is over. And Mark, welcome back to the program.
1: Thanks for having me back. Great to be here.
0: So, Mark, let's just start maybe for uh, our listening audience keeps growing thanks to uh, terrific guests like you and others. Uh, tell the listeners a bit about uh, Mark Jeftovic.
1: Well, sure, I'm uh, based out of Toronto, Canada, and my main job is I run a web services company and web host domain registration, that sort of thing called DNS. I've been doing that since 1998. And, you know, just having that role got me into a lot of things over the years. It got me into open systems, being able to be censorship resistant, being able to resist the uh, platform attacks and cancellation. So I've been active there, and that sort of unsurprisingly led me into Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, you know, non state money that's uh, unconfiscatable. And so, Starting around 2013 or so, my main business we just started taking Bitcoin as a payment method, and pretty well stacked it, hodled it ever since, with rare exceptions. And um, so today we are active in the online web services space, and we um, and we are making these innovations in the adjacent cryptocurrency and. Blockchain space. And then when lockdowns hit, I just started writing research reports on some of these crypto equities I was getting into as an investor wearing my investor hat. And that took on a life of its own and became the crypto capitalist letter. And I write my personal blog on bombthrower.com, which again took on a life of its own. It's becoming more of an aggregator along the zero hedge kind of format. And it all keeps me pretty busy.
0: Well, I appreciate that explanation. So, so Mark, uh, w- when you were talking and mentioned that, I think you said in 2013, your, your business, your primary business began taking uh, Bitcoin as payment for services. Uh, given the volatility that has existed in the crypto uh, marketplace, um, how is that how has that worked out for you?
1: Worked out great. I have no complaints whatsoever. I wish I did it earlier, but uh, you know the the main secret there for me was that when you're when you're a mainstream business like a web host or a domain registrar like we were, uh, you turn on crypto payments, you start taking Bitcoin as a payment method. It doesn't switch from dollars to Bitcoin overnight. It's just going to be a tiny residual percentage of your transaction volume is going to be in Bitcoin. And if you don't need to convert that Bitcoin into fiat dollars to maintain your operations, it just becomes a kind of a savings mechanism. So as long as you're just stacking your Bitcoin as it comes in, you're not worried about the exchange rate, it just becomes a long-term dollar cost average, which is what I tell people is the best way to accumulate actual Bitcoin.
0: Well, Mark, I think when you've been on the program in the past, I have, uh, in in the interest of... uh full disclosure, uh, told you that I have been and uh, remain a bit of a cryptocurrency skeptic. Um, what would you tell someone who saw Bitcoin go from 60000 per Bitcoin to 20000 this year, behaving uh, a lot like a lot of other financial assets in 2022?
1: Well, there's a couple of things in there. One of them is that Pretty well, all financial assets are correlated right now because of a function of the structure of the monetary system. So, as long as the central banks are printing money and increasing money supply and holding interest rates artificially below their clearing level, everything's going to go up. And then, when they try to stop that and normalize that because inflation's getting out of control and it's causing problems of its own, everything's going to come back down. Now these are all functions of a of what we see as an ultimately failing system because the central banks have obviously trapped themselves in a corner. They can't print, they can't tighten, they can't raise rates, they can't lower rates, they can't suck and blow at the same time, and they're trying to do both. So it's just a matter of time before everything becomes untethered from this one trade and starts to move on its own uh, fundamentals. Now in terms of the Bitcoin volatility. I have a series of charts in a in a document I wrote a couple years ago called the Crypto Capitalist Manifesto. Can't describe it on radio. If you go to bombthrower.com, you can get it for free there. It shows you what the volatility looks like when you just zoom out. And so when you look at the year 2013, for example, which was the year I discovered Bitcoin, you had some 90% down moves and you had some hundreds hundreds of percent up moves in the same year. And then when you zoom out, it's you can barely even see them on the line. They're just these tiny little wobbles along this baseline. And will that continue? What The way I look at that question is, I think about the global bond market and the global fiat currency, the size of like M2 currency, for example. Those are two gigantic bubbles sitting on one side of this big question mark, right? And then on the other side of this question mark, I see things like gold, which is $10 trillion, and Bitcoin, which is under a half a trillion dollars. And those bonds, the 300 trillion in bonds or 150, whatever you count, and the M2, like 25 trillion. I, I see my mental model is. Purchasing power deflating out of the one side, getting sucked out of that side, going through this process that we're in now, which is like a almost a classic crack-up boom style thing happening, and then blowing out into the other side of anti-fiat assets, hard money, gold, silver, real estate, commodities, and Bitcoin. And I've done some models in that Crypto Capitalist Manifesto that shows that you know if if one percent of the global bond market moves into Bitcoin as a hedge, um, it's going to completely transform the the price of Bitcoin and it's going to make a sixty thousand to twenty thousand dollar drop just look like another one of those very minor perturbations in retrospect.
0: So you made a comment, Mark. and, and for the listeners, if you're just joining me, I'm chatting today with Mr. Mark Jeftovic. Uh, his websites are bombthower.com where you can get his blog, and also thecryptocapitalist.com cryptocapitalist.com where you can learn more about his Crypto Capitalist Letter. So you had mentioned, uh, you know, the, the the central banks around the world, and and it seems to me that uh, they are now painted squarely into a corner. If they continue to raise interest rates, uh, the artificialness—if that's a word—but but, but it's certainly an artificial economy, as you pointed out. Uh, will disappear, and and we're going to have this big deflationary event in in financial assets, and to a certain extent, we we are having that now. Um, The other side of the coin is that they throw the towel in on inflation and say, we can't possibly control inflation, and they go back and try to save the the, the value of financial assets. So it seems to me they're in a lose-lose situation here, Mark. Uh, Tell me if you agree and how you see this playing out.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I wrote a piece on BombStore, uh, I guess last summer, maybe, and it said, you know, all central bank paths lead to Bitcoin because they have this lose-lose this choice. It's actually, um, well, let's start with lose-lose. They raise rates, they destroy the bond market. The bond market, like never mind the equities market. I mean, a lot of people watching this think the Fed doesn't care what happens to the equities market. They know it's going to come down in this tightening cycle. But if they lose the bond market, it's all over. So look at things like the move index and the bond volatility. And look what's happening with the British gilts. And just look at what's happening to bond yields everywhere. They're all blowing out. They raise rates if they keep trying to raise rates, and they probably will keep trying to raise rates until something breaks the thing that breaks that changes everything is the bond market. So they, on one hand, they raise rates and they destroy the global bond market, which is game over for everyone, for governments and sovereigns and everything. So let's say they don't do that. They're going to not raise rates anymore. They lower rates. They have to start printing money again. Money printer go burr. Uh, then they destroy the currency. And so that's a no-win situation as well, because hyperinflation and Inflation, nothing will put a government out of power faster than out-of-control inflation. When people can't put food on the table, when they can't drive their car to work, they put the government into guillotines. So it's uh, they don't have an option there. And in that article, I hypothesized a third possible path where they just try to roll everything into a central bank digital currency that they think. Gives them, you know, another chance to kick the can down the road. But the problem there is nothing is ready. Like I've been watching this for years, and people have been watching this, and they, everyone's talking about central bank digital currencies, but there's actually nothing ready. So another article that I wrote on Bomb Thrower a few weeks ago was that this the, the global financial system is unraveling so quickly. They may have to go with something that's already out there to deploy CBDCs in an effort to save their currencies and get a lid on the economy. And my guess, and that's just a guess and I could be wrong, is they're going to look at Ethereum for that. And I guess that brings us back to an earlier point that there's become a bit of a distinction between Bitcoin itself, which is a protocol for digital, hard, uh, decentralized digital bearer instruments and sound money. And cryptocurrencies, which are more like applications that uh, exist and are centralized and have CEOs and a lot of them are securities. And there's a big difference between the two. And um, that's what I think may happen with central bank digital currencies is they may just try to build out on top of Ethereum. It's still quite late in the game. The system's unraveling faster than this can be done practically so the central banks really have created a no-win situation for themselves. And I think out of that, you're going to see these parallel systems coming up built on Bitcoin, built on um, just other peer-to-peer systems outside of what's what's in place now.
0: Well, my guest today is Mr. Mark Jeftovic. His websites are bombthrower.com and thecryptocapitalist.com. I'll continue my conversation with Mark when RLA Radio returns. Stay with us. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Joining me once again on today's program is Mr. Mark Jeftovic. Uh, Mark is uh, an extremely busy guy, a very bright guy. You can check out his work. His blog is at bombthrower.com, and he publishes a letter called the Crypto Capitalist Letter. You can learn more about that at the thecryptocapitalist.com. And uh, Mark, in the last segment, we were talking a bit about central bank-issued digital currencies, and... You know, I always looked at this as uh, kind of a a desperation effort, if you will, like a Hail Mary pass for the central bankers trying to figure out some way to fix this thing, Um, which, as we discussed in the last segment, uh, it doesn't seem to be fixable. Uh, There are those out there that are prognosticating that perhaps there will be some central bank around the world that will link a digital currency to something tangible like gold or silver. Uh, What do you think?
1: I don't think any central bank will ever link their CBDC to something tangible because that takes away their ability to inflate the monetary system out of thin air. And that is the sole purpose of a central bank.
0: So, Mark, let's talk a little bit about um, how you see all this playing out. You used the term crack-up boom in the last segment uh, a term I believe that was invented by Ludwig von Mises, which talked about you know hyperinflation really uh, morphing into a deflationary depression. Uh, when you use the term "crack up boom," is that see you, is that how you see things playing out?
1: Pretty much. I mean, I I think I I think it ends in a hyperinflation. Um, I think in terms of deflation, I think that comes before the hyperinflation in different places at different times. And some things may deflate while other things are inflating. But I think right now, for example, the central banks of the world, um, some sooner than others have started hiking and abandoned hiking already. And I think the next, and that's deflationary and all the asset prices are coming down. And at some point, it's the Fed pivot is what everyone is waiting for, um, which I think will happen. They they start uh, bringing interest rates down. They start expanding the money supply again, and that's when we get into that hyperinflationary phase.
0: Well, Mark, I happen to agree with you. I think we're going to see a, a pivot by the Fed because there's really uh, they, they they really are, are going to try to to go with what makes the most sense. And when deflation gets really ugly, that's probably the you know that's the only bullet they have left in the gun. So. Talk to me a bit, if you would, as this inflation reignites, assuming we see that, um, talk to me how you think Bitcoin and other cryptos will perform compared to precious metals like gold and silver.
1: Compared to, I couldn't tell you. Uh, I think directionally, they go in the same direction. I'm not one of those Bitcoiners that eschews gold. In fact, I've been invested in gold since the late 90s. I have positions in gold mining stocks that are older than my teenage daughter. I still like gold. I've got a 10-ounce uh, Credit Suisse bar on my desk that I just like just like having there. Um Gold and Bitcoin are going to move in the same direction and they're going to move so fast that the people who don't have any are going to be playing, you know, a serious catch up game to try and get on that train.
0: So, Mark, right now, uh, relatively speaking, we're seeing a strong dollar around the world. And I always like to point out to listeners that that is relative to other fiat currencies. The dollar is obviously not gaining an absolute purchasing power. Do you see that strong dollar trend continuing?
1: That, well, how long it goes, I, I couldn't tell you. And, and there's a phrase for that called uh, dollar, uh, the dollar milkshake theory. It was created by, um, uh, what was his name? Brett Wilson, Santiago Capital. I might have the name wrong. I know the firm, is Santiago Capital. And he's not really a Bitcoin guy either, but his fear, but the Bitcoin crowd has kind of looked at this and think he's right about it. And what he says is that you know the dollar, there's going to be this this, this perceived flight to safety in the dollar as the global financial system unravels and things start to crack up and there's a dollar shortage. And so the dollar is going to act like a milkshake. It's going to suck the liquidity out of all of the other fiat currencies. and All the weaker currencies are going to fall against the dollar as that plays out. And um, And then what happens after that, though, is the dollar itself, the U.S. dollar itself, Starts to implode. And so all fiat currencies are basically headed in the wrong direction or headed in the same direction. They're going to their true value, which is worthless. But before that happens, it's like that, you know, when the tide goes out before a tsunami, or how we talked about you get deflation before the hyperinflation. This is sort of like all the liquidity gets sucked up into the US dollar before it just crashes into a crater.
0: So as this hyperinflation that you you you're forecasting plays out um, do, do you see new currency systems emerging and do you see you know bitcoin and ethereum and other cryptocurrencies being the preferred currency or do you see some country in the world maybe tying their currency currency to gold we kind of talked about that but when you study history uh, you know, Weimar Germany, they they tied the, the rent-and-mark to land and industrial goods, so people were more confident in the currency. How, how do you see this transitioning?
1: Yeah, my, my thinking on this has changed over the years. So I used to think the people who thought Bitcoin would become a, a world reserve asset were delusional, and I don't believe that anymore. Now I believe that Bitcoin will be part of a hard money solution after this all plays out it may not be the global world reserve currency but i think it would be part of a basket of a global reserve currency you know like basket of gold and maybe land and whatever else is in there and partially bitcoin i think will be part of the mix i don't see any of the other cryptos being part of that except for i think as i mentioned earlier i think ethereum may end up finding the niche as a sort of base layer for central bank digital currencies, which will not be sound money. They'll be closer to social credit systems. And uh, I think people that have wealth and have assets and purchasing power that they want to protect are going to stay stay as far away from the central bank digital currencies as they can and hold their wealth in um in something that's got a hard, a hard asset backing.
0: So Mark, in the time we have left, let's talk a little bit about the crypto capitalist letter. Uh, can you describe, uh, for the listeners, uh, the kind of uh, editorial content that you, uh, put out in the crypto capitalist letter?
1: Sure. It's, uh, generally two issues a month, PDF format runs between, I don't know, call it 30 pages each issue. The month-end letter is more of a macro overview, so I kind of look at interest rates, I look at the development of central bank digital currencies, I look at what's going on geopolitically, I've got a section called Clown World Report where I just sort of talk about how our, you know globalists and elites are kind of detached from reality, increasingly so. And it ties in because this all plays into the Bitcoin thesis in my mind. And then mid-month, we put out our portfolio update. So our tactical focus is we it started out covering uh, crypto equities, publicly traded Bitcoin stocks and crypto stocks. So we run a concentrated portfolio. I come from a value, a value investing kind of ideology. So we keep it focused, 10 names plus some ETFs. And uh, we look for value, not momentum. And so we look at the balance sheets of these companies and we like companies that are like Bitcoin miners, for example, that are just stacking their Bitcoin and uh, actually deriving revenues from their operations. and like we're not invested in NFTs or anything like that. We're just we're looking for the picks and shovels of the crypto world. Is really what we're what we're after because that's what I know best. I, I, my my main business, EasyDNS, is picks and shovels of the online world. So I kind of took what I knew and applied it to this this investing methodology.
0: Well, Mark, we've got just a few minutes left in this segment. I want to go back uh, and just finish uh, talking a bit about. Central bankers, it seems that uh, central bankers are quickly and rapidly losing credibility among the general population, and you know there are those out there that maybe couldn 't define a central bank that now saw the story here uh, that we had the Atlanta Fed president actually uh, just refile some disclosure reports that evidently he didn 't realize he was supposed to file and he's still the and he's the president of the Atlanta Fed. Uh, we had an insider trading scandal at the Fed here you know a year ago. Um, you know, as this hyperinflation, as as you're forecasting, um, emerges, um, are, are central bankers going to provide a solution, or have they lost too much credibility?
1: Central bankers have never provided a solution. Central bankers only make a bad system worse. That's the one thing they know. I've got to actually. I was talking about that Fed um, scandal in the mid-month portfolio, which I just sent out this morning. And I called it whiteboard economics. So central bankers are only good at whiteboard economics that have never survived the collision with reality. And so we can't look to central bankers to solve anything. We have to all find paths forward that will succeed in spite of central bankers, not because of them.
0: Well, my guest today has been Mr. Mark Jeftovic. His website, uh, if you'd like to check out his blog, is bombthrower.com. If you'd like to learn more about his crypto capitalist letter, you can visit thecryptocapitalist.com. And, uh, Mark, always a pleasure to catch up with you. Appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to talk with us today, and I'd love to have
1: you back down the road. Thanks, Dennis. I'm happy to come on whenever you want me.
0: Appreciate that. RLA Radio will return after these words. I'm Dennis Tubergen. You are listening to Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio. Glad you're listening in today, and thanks again to Mr. Mark Jeftovic for joining us on today's program. If you're just tuning in, I'd like to invite you to get a copy of the October 2022 special report titled Anatomy of a Recession, Strategies for the Current Economy. When you request that report, I'll also send you a copy of the best-selling revenue sourcing book, that contains planning strategies designed especially for the current economy. I'll also send you a copy of the Little Black Book of Social Security Maximization. All you need to do to get all those resources for free is visit the website, requestyourreport.com. The website, again, requestyourreport.com. And when you give me your address and let me know where to mail all that stuff, you'll get a big box of resources absolutely free of charge. So, again, requestyourreport.com is the website. You know, we have inflation, as we talked about in the first segment, that is raging. But when you look at what's going on around the globe, when you look at some of the geopolitical conditions that exist, and you apply a little bit of critical thinking to those situations, which Michael Snyder did in his blog this past week, You come to the conclusion that a lot of the lifestyles that we have all enjoyed over the past couple decades may have been artificial. Now Snyder puts it this way. He said all of our lifestyles are about to change in a major way, but the vast majority of the population still does not understand what is coming. Throughout our entire lives, we've always been able to depend on a couple things. There'd always be cheap gasoline to fuel our vehicles, and there'd always be loads of cheap food at the grocery store. It didn't matter who was in the White House. It didn't matter what else was going on in the world. These were pretty much two constants, affordable fuel and lots of readily available, inexpensive food. Now, Snyder contends, and looking at the data, I would tend to agree with him that we're not going back to that. You might just as well get used to high gas prices. In fact, brand-new all-time record highs were recently set in the price of gasoline all over Southern California. San Bernardino County, $6.32 a gallon. Los Angeles, Long Beach, $6.46 a gallon. Orange County, $6.42 a gallon. You get the idea. Now, as bad as that is, that's really not the real problem. The real problem is with natural gas. And natural gas shortages will likely also create food shortages. Now, let me explain. Supplies of natural gas in Europe have become extremely tight. That's largely to do with the war in Ukraine. Now, as a result of these tight supplies, prices have been pushed into the stratosphere. Now, two-thirds of all fertilizer production and capacity, uh, capacity in Europe has already been shut down because of soaring natural gas costs. Now, Bloomberg puts it this way, quote, Europe's fertilizer crunch is deepening with more than two-thirds of production capacity halted by soaring gas costs threatening farmers and consumers far beyond the region's borders. Now, think about this. Two-thirds of fertilizer production in Europe is now shut down. Now, we haven't felt the impact of that because there takes some time. We're nearing the end of a growing season here. I should say we're at the end of a growing season here. But this is a huge story, and I haven't seen many people cover it. I haven't seen many news outlets cover it. Global fertilizer production, in a nutshell, is going to be greatly reduced. Now, if you take a look at what's going on just in nitrogen fertilizer prices recently, the price of nitrogen fertilizer in New Orleans rose over 20% in weekly prices just a week ago. That's huge. 20% increase. Now, Snyder puts it this way. He said, I know fertilizer might not be the most exciting topic for a lot of people, but the truth is that half of the global population approximately would starve if we didn't have any fertilizer. It's estimated that nitrogen fertilizer now supports approximately half of the global population. The pioneers of nitrogen fertilizer, a guy by the name of Fritz Haber and Carl Bosch, are estimated to have enabled the lives of several billion people who otherwise would have died prematurely or never been born at all. So if you think about that, half of the global population has food because nitrogen fertilizer exists. And now two-thirds of that production has been shut down. Now, when you look at those numbers, you have to conclude that it's going to be very, very difficult to feed everyone on the planet without nitrogen fertilizer. But now, because of the price of natural gas, fertilizer plants all over Europe are being forced to shut down. So the global energy crisis will likely lead to a global food crisis. Now, ending the war in Ukraine would go a long way towards solving the current problems, but that doesn't look like it's going to happen anytime soon. Now, there is another factor here that Snyder points out. The worst multi-year mega drought in 1,200 years continues to absolutely ravage agricultural production in the western half of the United States. Connell McShane, who is a Fox business reporter, traveled to Wakefield, Nebraska, and reported from the middle of a cornfield. And here's what he said, quote, I'm standing in the middle of a cornfield that if this was a normal year, or in other words, if the corn was growing the way it was supposed to be, you wouldn't even really be able to see me right now. It would be way up above my head, but now I look at this, maybe knee high at best. 99% of the crops in that country, in that county rather, will not be harvested. Now, this drought has been going on for years, and it seems to just be getting worse. On the West Coast, production of tomatoes, garlic, and onions will be very disappointing this year due to the drought. Now, Don Cameron is the president of the California State Board of Food and Agriculture. He was interviewed by Reuters News Service, and here is what he said. What you're seeing harvested this summer that really hasn't even hit the grocery store shelf? It's a 25% increase in the cost of the product to the processors, the canners, and the buyers downstream. The onions and garlic have already been negotiated for 2023 with another 25% increase in price. So food prices, Snyder said, might seem high to you right now, but the truth is they're probably not going to get lower. The cost of living is becoming extremely oppressive, And countless people out there are really struggling to make it from month to month. Now, Snyder brought up a tweet from a lawyer who is 47 years old, and it really makes the point. Here's the tweet. This 47-year-old lawyer said, 20 years ago, working as a server, I lived in a corner one-bedroom apartment downtown with amazing water views, and it cost me $700 a month. The same apartment is now $3,600 a month, more than five times as much. As a lawyer at age 47, I am unable to afford living the apartment I did at age 27 while I was waiting tables. So as I said when I started this segment, the artificially inflated lifestyles that we've been able to enjoy for decades because of this easy money, artificial money policy now is disappearing and we all likely need to brace Now, I would invite you to get my free resources available during the month of October. You'll get a copy of the Revenue Sourcing book. You'll get a copy of the Little Black Book on Social Security Maximization. You'll also get a copy of the October 2022 special report, Anatomy of a Recession Strategies for the Current Economy. Just visit the website, requestyourreport.com. I'll be glad to send you all that information. Again, the website, requestyourreport.com. That's all the time I have for this week. I'll be back again next week.